The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. Greetings, scribes. I have got some exciting news to share. The Writer Files now has an exclusive Patreon community where subscribers will get exclusive access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and content from productivity and publishing experts each month. In the meantime, just head over to patreon.com slash the writer files. It's free to join Patreon to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash the writer files. Help us start something special. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I was living such a kind of, you know, unskilled laborer's uh, lifestyle that a graduate's TA stipend was uh, was as good money as I'd ever made. So I was, I was, I, I could live on the uh, on the stipend with my three kids at that point, and I uh, went to graduate school, and that meant that I had to start writing, obviously papers and seminar papers, and then a dissertation. And um, that got me in the habit of writing every day. But it took me away from what I always thought I was going to do, which is write a, write novels. So I, that's what I what I really wanted to do. I was in love with the novel as a form. I was lo- in love with the novelists I was reading. Um, but I ended up writing a lot of uh, criticism and cultural history um, at, professionally as a, as a scholar, uh, always with the idea that I was a, no- a procrastinating novelist. Greetings, fellow scribes. You've tuned into The Writer Files, and I am your host, Kelton Reed, sending you positive thoughts and well wishes during this incredibly trying time for us all. But the show must go on. And this week, the award-winning author, founder, and editor-in-chief of the LA Review of Books, Tom Lutz, took a time out to talk with me about his early years as a literary ne'er-do-well, what it's like to hang out with your heroes, and why you can assume every writer is faking it just a little bit. In addition to editing the Los Angeles Review of Books, a nonprofit organization dedicated to promoting and disseminating engaging writing on every aspect of literature, culture, and the arts, Tom also founded the LARB Radio Hour, the LARB Quarterly Journal, the LARB USC Publishing Workshop, and LARB Books. He's a distinguished professor of creative writing at UC Riverside, and the author of multiple best-selling and award-winning nonfiction titles translated into dozens of languages, including Doing Nothing, American Book Award winner, Crying, and American Nervousness, 1903, both New York Times notables. His latest is his fiction debut, a literary thriller that wanders the globe. Novel-born Slippy is described as part literary thriller, noir, and political satire. And best-selling novelist James Elroy said of the book, Lutz has the seven deadly sins nailed and rethought for our 2020 world. Tom's writing has appeared in the New York Times, LA Times, New Republic, Chicago Tribune, Ziziva, and many other literary venues, as well as in dozens of books and academic journals. 
And a quick note on the audio quality. I reached Tom in his natural environs of LA and the sounds of that sprawling urban landscape dot our interview, which was recorded at the end of January. In this file, Tom and I discussed his early years as a juvenile delinquent and the teacher that duped him into becoming a writer. Why, if you need something done, you should ask a busy person. How he's happiest and most creative when playing hooky. On imposter syndrome and sneaking in the back door of an exclusive club of writers. What it's like to hang out with Salman Rushdie and Margaret Atwood. And why you may not be the type of writer you think you are. Stay well. And if you're a fan of The Writer Files, please click subscribe to automatically see new interviews as soon as they're published. And leave us a rating or a review over on Apple Podcasts to help other writers find us. You can always reach out to me on Twitter at Kelton Reed. Also, The Writer Files is now available on Alexa because Apple Podcasts are available on Alexa-enabled Amazon devices in the United States. Now all you have to do is say, Alexa, play The Writer Files on Apple Podcasts, and she'll probably grant your wish. Stay tuned. All right, we are rolling today on The Writer Files with a distinguished uh, guest and taking time out of his busy schedule today. We've got uh, author Tom Lutz. Thank you very much for taking the time to do this. I'm very happy to be here, Calvin. Thanks. I am getting a little bit of uh, some background noise, and that may just be unavoidable. Yeah, this is Los Angeles, and they, <laughs> uh, so a helicopter goes over every once in a while, and that's what you're hearing. <laughs> gotcha. Oh, it's also garbage day. <laughs> it's garbage day. Okay, perfect. <laughs> that's the garbage truck now. The helicopter's gone. Uh, <laughs> I uh, I know garbage day well. It's a uh, it's a lauded holiday here. Do you compost? <laughs> uh, we do actually. Yeah, yeah. We have a lot of. Uh, it's it's Los Angeles, so we have citrus trees and yeah, garden and very nice fig tree and so it's there's lots of places to put it. Yeah. What's uh what part of LA are you in? So little, little neighborhood called Silver Lake. Oh yeah, uh, you know it. Yes, great neighborhood. Um, and uh, I I logged some time in uh, kind of uh, the Wilshire. Uh, you know where Lachma is. That's uh, yep, sure. a, a neighborhood that I lived in. Miracle Mile. That's that's exactly right. And the tar pits are right there, and you could smell them almost uh, daily. It's a nice a nice wafting kind of eggy smell i don't know yeah yeah it's it is sulfur right sulfur yeah i just wanted to say thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule it seems like you do i mean you you strike me also as a writer's writer and you've um of course written award-winning books um you know lots of literary criticism uh even screenplays and and written for radio it, it seems and uh, but you also teach at uh, UC Riverside, is that correct? Yeah, yeah, I've been there for twelve years, thirteen years, something like that. And I taught at Iowa for almost twenty before that. Amazing, amazing, and um, both uh, really incredible programs for for creative writers. And yeah, I'd be interested to hear about that experience. 
But maybe going back as we as we do so often with guests, take us back to kind of your beginnings, your superhero origin story as a writer <laughs> and how, I mean, I know you've done all these things. You're a, you're a world traveler, you're a, a, a musician, and, and of course this distinguished professorship um, that you hold and then and your, and your you know, incredible background. But let's talk about, you know, kind of how you got your start. Maybe if you had an aha moment where you're like, yeah, I'm going to be a writer and make, you know, a professional career out of it. And then, you know, how you came to be, you know, a best-selling and award-winning author. And then, of course, we I want to talk about the alley review of books too. But yeah, take us back a little bit in time. And sure, you know the the uh, when I had the aha moment about being a writer, and when I decided to make a career of it, are two widely spaced events. The the first one, the um, I was in seventh grade, and a Miss Reese. Um, I don't know her first name. I don't. I don't know whether. It's R-I-I-S or R-E-E-C-E. Anyway, she gave us an assignment to go home and write whatever we wanted. It could be poetry, prose, could be, you know, and of course, we none of us knew how to write. None of us knew what we were doing. <laughs> and uh, But we could we could do anything we wanted. It could be a, a sentence. It could be a, a, a novel. So I went home and I kind of independently invented the epic modernist poem. (laughs) (laughs) And it had, you know, like five different, very loose verse forms. But, you know, some of it rhymed and were very very tight little lines. Some of it were long Whitman-like lines. Of course, I had no idea who Whitman was or anything else. But I I, I just wrote this poem. It was all about the the girl who had broken my heart and uh, my, 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 my deep romantic sorrow. I didn't know who the romantics were either. And, uh, and, and, uh, she took me aside and said, this is just so amazing. It is, uh, really, uh, you, you have a gift. I've never seen anything like it. Um, I'm just, uh, I'm just blown away. And I thought, well, and I, I also, I should say I was a terrible kid. I mean, I was just a kind of juvenile delinquent. I was in trouble all the time. I had never been praised for anything ever hmm. <laughs> up until that point. <laughs> so I, I, you know, this was, uh, this was a really momentous day for me. And, uh, I kind of decided that I was a writer on that day. Cut to 30 years later, I'm living in Los Angeles and I, and it turns out to be down the street from my best friend in junior high school. Um, and we get together and we're talking about, you know, what our lives has been like ever, ever since (laughs) we hadn't seen each other since, you know, we were 20. And, uh, and I, I told him this story about Miss Reese and he said, Oh, you know what? She told me exactly the same thing. (laughs) And I, that's awesome. And I just thought she was, I thought she was baddie because what I gave her was crap and I knew it was crap and I can't, I couldn't believe she didn't know it was crap. <laughs> and Amazing. so what happened was uh, she was exercising some kind of, she was young, you know, and probably straight out of graduate school and, and, uh, just, she was doing some kind of, uh, pedagogical technique where you, where you tell kids, write Whatever you want. And then you tell them it's great. And that empowers them. Right. So Anyway, uh, my entire career is based on a pedagogical technique that had nothing to do with the quality of the writing. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> well, it seems to have worked out for you. Yeah, it does. Yeah. I guess so. 
but it's uh, it's just uh, I'm I'm glad it turned out I I actually could do something in the field because uh, it could have been a, just a completely wasted life. That's interesting. Um, but it was then and then I you know I continued to be a juvenile delinquent and a and a kind of f- up for. Am I allowed to say that on this podcast? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> I recommend it. Uh, okay, uh, for uh, you know for years and. Um, there was no way I could go to college. I was just not equipped to um, to take care of myself. I, I mean, I so I was working as as a carpenter and as a cook and as a as a musician, in fact, um, a little bit, you know, in little low level bar bands, and um, and uh, did that for years and years. And I ended up cooking at a small college in the Mississippi River Valley, and the financial ga- aid guy at the college saw me reading books every day at lunch while the, well, the, you know, it was me and kind of a bunch of classic lunch ladies, right? All um, middle-aged women and this young, long haired, you know, dissolute kid. Um, and, uh, he saw me reading Freud and Nietzsche and novels and, and he said, what, you know, what's your story? Are you, did you drop out of college? I said, no, I never went. He said, well, you could go here for free. Wow. And he was just looking for warm bodies to stick Pell Grants on as a way to try to keep this little college afloat, <laughs> you know? And so I thought, okay. Um, and I, cause I had started thinking I was feeding these kids lunch and, and breakfast and lunch every day. Um, you know, just making 400 grilled cheese sandwiches and sl- throwing them out on plates and that kind of thing. And uh, I was, I was watching them go by and hearing them talk to each other. And I was thinking, you know, they're really not any smarter than I am. Uh, these college kids. So it was a combination of being exposed to them and having this offer. And I said, yeah, I'll I'll do it. And I started taking, I could only take classes that happened after two in the afternoon because I was cooking lunch and breakfast and lunch. Um, But uh, I started taking my post 2 p.m. classes and I, and I realized that there are these people called professors and they read books for a living and then just get in front of a bunch of kids and talk about the books. And I thought, oh, my God, this this is so much better than making 400 grilled cheese sandwiches. I, I really, <laughs> this is the job for me. So as a result, I've kind of been in school ever since. I went straight straight through that. I did the undergrad in three years, just kind of doubled up on classes and tripled up on classes. Um, I already had some kids, so... I had to work, you know, at least at least four days a week um, to uh, to pay for that. And um, but I did that, and I went to graduate school, and um, I was living such a kind of, you know, unskilled laborer's uh, lifestyle that a graduate's TA stipend was uh, was as good money as I'd ever made. So I was I was I, I could live on the uh, on the stipend with my three kids at that point and I uh, went to graduate school and that meant that I had to start writing obviously papers and seminar papers and then a dissertation and um, that got me in the habit of writing every day but it took me away from what I always thought I was going to do which was write a, write novels so I, that's what I what I really wanted to do I was in love with the novel as a form I was lo- in love with the novelists I was reading um, but I ended up writing a lot of uh, criticism and cultural history um, uh, professionally as a, as a scholar, uh, always with the idea that I was a, not a procrastinating novelist. <laughs> and just a quick aside to revisit the exclusive Writer Files Patreon community where subscribers get access to uncut ad-free interviews, 
a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and a lot more. I know that for serious writers, it can be more distracting than ever to cut through the noise, stay productive, and home in on what's happening in the publishing industry. Over eight years, we've provided a looking glass into the habits of professional writers and publishing industry insiders. And as your humble host, I've decided to launch a membership-based Patreon for serious scribes to cut through the noise, swap tips and tricks, and hang out with like-minded peers. Just head over to patreon.com slash the writer files for bonus writing resources, monthly episode breakdowns, writer's happy hour, a community of your peers, ad-free episodes, and more. It's free to join to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash the writer files. Help us start something cool and special. Keep calm and write on. Yeah. Well, it seems to have worked out for you um, quite well, this uh, circuitous path. And of course, you've written a novel now. Yeah. This uh, book, Born Slippy, which I got a chance to peek at. And it's a literary thriller, right? It's got yep. um, a globetrotting kind of time-shifting narrative and uh, it combines elements of literary thriller, noir, political satire. And um, is it named after a song by Underworld? Yeah, it is. <laughs> it's uh, it, it's actually the title is uh, from my British publisher, um, Tarek Goodard, who runs Repeater Books, which is a Penguin Random House imprint, and which has published the book. And uh, Tarek hated the the title I had, which was Sugarfish. Hmm. And it's Sugarfish still shows up in the novel. It's just a password that um, the, one of the two main characters passes to the other. Um, just because they're standing on the side of the road and he looks up and Sugarfish is a restaurant across the street and he says Sugarfish. And I thought Sugarfish was a, a kind of a, you know, sweet and savory and um, kind of sweet and yucky and uh, <laughs> and, uh, and and oddly sexual in some way. So I, I, uh, I thought it I thought it made sense as a title, but most people I said it to hated it. So mm. when he suggested Born Slippy, because Dimitri is from Liverpool. Uh, Born Slippy was made famous by Train Spotting. It's like it's got kind of Liverpool uh, roots, and so yeah. he, he, that's what he wanted it to be. And I thought, okay, great, makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Well, I had some uh, has some great blurbs on there. Um, I like this one from James Elroy, who I'm a big fan of. Lutz has the seven deadly sins nailed and rethought for our 2020 world. You've got to dig this book. That was a nice one. And you got Jerry, Jerry stalled it to uh blurb it. That's cool. Um, I, I liked permanent midnight. It was kind of harrowing, but, um, he has a, he has also kind of a dark twisted sense of humor, but yeah, talk a little bit about, um, the book, if you will, and kind of, uh, yeah, how you, how you finally came to fiction and yeah. And then what's next for you? Yeah. The, the, um, I, I started a couple of novels, um, over the years, uh, you know, some before I was even in school and, uh, one is a, one is an undergraduate and, and they were all a little kind of Kerouacian, you know, my life thinly disguised, my, my, my wandering, uh, numbskull life. And, <laughs> and, uh, I thought, uh, I thought, you know, I kind of assumed that's what would happen. But when I, when I did my PhD in, um, uh, in American literature, 
I ended up writing, reading all of the great novels. I mean, I read thousands and thousands of fantastic novels. And so when I tried to start writing fiction again, I'd have Toni Morrison sitting on one shoulder and Henry James on the other, both kind of smirking at me. And it was a, it was disconcerting to, <laughs> to have them there. You know, I just, I felt, I, I felt unequal to the task of joining that club. Uh, uh, the main thing that happened is I started writing some screenplays because I was in Hollywood. Uh, you know, I live basically in Hollywood and, um, uh, everybody I knew was in the business and, um, some at dinner parties, sometimes people would say, what do you do? And I say, I'm a writer. And they would say, Oh, do you have something you want me to look at? And that's tempting. So I thought, well, I should write something. So if somebody asked me that again, I can say yes. And so I started writing some screenplays and, you know, learning how to do it and um, had some friends that did it for a living and gave me notes. And and uh, that was so much fun. It was just such a pleasure. And there was none, none of that pressure. I knew that whatever I wrote as a, as a script would get rewritten and rewritten and rewritten. And that probably, you know, I, I, I'd, if I was lucky enough to sell it, I would I would get fired from the project and they'd give it to some other writer. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and I th and therefore I'd always have kind of plausible deniability. It it just was very freeing medium to work in, and uh, and I and uh, and the the all the pleasures of writing fiction were there. You know, just the getting swept up in a in a world that's kind of you're half creating and half watching getting getting created in front of your eyes. Um, so it's uh, it was uh, that 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 freed me up and got me back on track and and started on the novel. And I also thought, you know, I'm not going to swing for the fences. I'm not, I'm not pretending to write the great American novel. I'm not, I, I'm not trying to uh, become a, you know, Paris review, darling. I'm not trying to, I'm just, I just, I just want to write a, you know, my, my highest aspiration would be to be half as good as, as Patricia Highsmith. Hmm. That would, that would be good enough for me. And, um, and so I, I wrote it thinking it was just going to be a straight ahead noir thriller turned out to be a, a, a mix of things, but, uh, that's, that's what I was going for. And that again, freed me up. I do. I didn't have to feel like, like neither, neither, uh, Tony Morrison nor Henry James cared about the genre. So, um, <laughs> I was safe. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Interesting. You know, just to touch on the subject matter, I know you've, you've mentioned that as an examination of. Uh, the idea of toxic masculinity, I thought I found um, very interesting that, the, you know, that you had mentioned that you have this fascination with horrible men. And, uh, you know, I had recently uh, uh, finished watching Breaking Bad for the first time um, uh -huh. and uh, spent some time with, with some horrible men in Breaking Bad. Uh, but I thought it was interesting that you, yeah, we're kind of delving into this idea. But um yeah, talk yeah. a little bit about how you how you came to the subject matter. But then I also wanted to ask you because, you know, you you describe. I mean, this character is described as kind of an autodidactic professor, um, which seems to be you in in a sense. So you know, you talked about kind of a veiled <laughs> version of yourself, right? Um, but of course, you write what you know. But but um, you do seem to have you know, as you mentioned, kind of be, to be an autodidact yourself. Is that right? Well, yeah, I, I certainly started as an autodidact. I think that, um, you know, now, uh, three, three degrees later, um, <laughs> I can't really claim that anymore. No. 
but the, but and and I do think that there's a way in which Frank is some version of me if I had gone a completely different direction with my life and um but he's also I think slightly more naive than I ever was um I mean I'm and and probably not quite as 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 stupid as I was at that age so he's a, he's a, he's he is both a version of me and and not not at all the, I think that it's not just me that's fascinated by bad men, as you say, Breaking Bad, but the, you know, the Sopranos and um, uh, the Wire and and you name it. I mean, we love we love bad guys, yeah. um, and uh, and and that uh, that kind of uh, charming so- sociopath. I mean, we've even elected one president, right? So there's no. <laughs> there's, there's no end to the way the culture kind of in, enthrones this this particular character. There's one there's one version, uh, and certainly in academia, there's a there's a version of explaining this character, which it goes something like, "It's uh, safety valve time. Mm-hmm. We, we like to we like to kind of uh, feel feel this kind of character doing all of these horrible things, and we can imagine uh, that." Um, never have to do it ourselves. So the, we take the, our most antisocial tendencies, we let, we experience them vicariously through these characters and then we, and then we're kind of done with them. So it's, uh, it lets off our antisocial steam. Interesting. But I think that they're, they have, uh, you know, a lot of secondary effects when I, when I kind of look back at my own life and, and look at, uh, the, th- the ways in which I was less than a good person, uh, a lot of the, of those, of those moments in my life, if I had been James Bond, they would have been fine. Um, <laughs> right. I mean, we, uh, we have these, uh, figures that, that represent something that we know we shouldn't be, but at the same time, give us really do give us permission to be. So the relationship between Frank and Dimitri and Dimitri is a, you know, Tony Soprano, uh, Walter White, um, kind of character that, that relationship is a relationship in which, uh, Frank is trying to inject some kind of moral consciousness into Dimitri, um, largely unsuccessfully, maybe even entirely unsuccessfully. And, and, uh, at the same time, getting drawn towards his worldview. Um, there, there are all sorts of ways in which, uh, <laughs> Dimitri is a classic bad influence. And, uh, and you know, when you kind of think about that in, in larger cultural terms, it's, um, it's, it's a question of how, how, how does misogyny get recreated? Right. Mm-hmm. You don't, nobody's born a misogynist. Um, you, you learn it, um, from your culture, uh, in the same way that nobody's born a racist, nobody's born, right. So you, you, you learn these things, um, from your, from your culture and it's, um, and, and you don't ever learn your culture, uh, by osmosis, you learn it from individuals. Um, so that's, it's a, it's a question of, um, how misogyny gets passed from kind of man to man without anybody necessarily being aware that that's what's happening. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, you talk about, 
You talked about, um, of course, these characters from, from literature and um, and real life characters. Uh, I know you had mentioned Jeffrey Epstein in an interview, and of course, he was a charming sociopath as well. Mm. I, I also recently saw, just recently saw, a documentary about the yoga, the yogi. Oh B- yeah, Bikram. And right. uh, was th- I couldn't help but think of him as well, and how um, you know these kind of larger than life characters uh, can sometimes get away with murder, or not literally, or maybe um, mm-hmm. you know, and how even uh, Donald Trump had mentioned that he could he could literally <laughs> murder someone and get away with it. But Dershowitz uh, just said he could murder his political rival as long as he had the best interest of the nation in, in his heart. Yeah. Well, we don't need. We don't need yeah, to we, yeah, we we could get we into that. the rest of the time on that if we wanted. No, no, um, no, no. And the work is fantastic. I'm enjoying it very much. Um, the book is Born Slippy, and um, author Tom Lutz has his homepage there at tomlutzwriter.com, and you can find all of his uh, nonfiction, um, this fantastic novel. Um, information and news um, there. There's lots to dig into you. And um, yeah, talk a little bit about kind of what, what you're working on now. And as the founder and editor-in-chief of this fantastic organization, the LA Review of Books, how do you, how do you stay sane? How do you keep all these uh, balls in the air? My goodness. Yeah, I... Um... I don't really, I can't, I can't answer that. (laughs) I don't don't really know. Um, I'm actually um, uh, kind of, uh, I've slowly been um, building up uh, Los Angeles Review of Books where we've got, uh, we've got a lot of great, um, we've got a great board uh, of directors who um, helps us stay afloat. We have a great um, donor base. Uh, We have uh, members who donate every year. We run our fund drives. We do events to make money for that and all this kind of stuff. So we're, we're, we've we've built it to the point where Boris Draliuk is now the the executive editor. But I'm thinking of just kind of uh, calling him the editor in chief very shortly, and and just calling myself the publisher. But basically, he's doing almost all of the of the website now. Medea Oetker is doing almost the entire uh, quarterly journal and she does the radio show, which is, I, I used to do as well. And uh, Stephanie Malik is running the book division and uh, Irene Yoon has taken over the the um, publishing workshop that we do every summer. So I've got these kind of great people in place um, doing almost all of the you know heavy lifting that I was doing, um, myself and with some volunteers and, you know, part-time people, um, for years. And, uh, so the, the, the organization is maturing and that's allowed me to kind of really get back to my writing. It's allowed me to, um, kind of concentrate a little bit more on my own work. Uh, but there, there, I look back at, at a few of those years, I, I did publish, a, you know, a couple, couple of few books during, well, during the time I was running LARB and, uh, yeah. Uh, as well. And, um, and I, you know, and I was doing a little bit of everything. I was editing 30 or 40 long form pieces a month. I was doing the radio show every week and getting prepared for that. And I was actually doing the sound editing on the radio show uh, myself. 
Oh my goodness. I was making short films for Laura, but it was just kind of doing, uh, doing, uh, an enormous amount. And I, and, and, you know, doing my teaching job and all of that. Um, so I don't know exactly how I managed it, but, um, uh, I'm glad I'm not managing all of it <laughs> anymore. Um, yeah. these, uh, these great, uh, uh, younger people, um, I have no, uh, I'm, uh, the opposite of a, of a dynasty type. I do not want to, um, or a succession type. I don't want to kind of stay in charge. I want to kind of pass it on uh, as soon as every, everybody's ready for me to do that. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, LA Review Books, uh, if you don't know, is a nonprofit dedicated to promoting and disseminating rigorous, incisive, and engaging writing on every aspect of liter literature, culture, and the arts. I am a big fan. So thank you for your work on that. And uh, yeah, so, so as a writer, Mm -hmm. and, a, and a professor who uh, also teaches creative writing and, and you know, uh, how, how do you carve, where are you carving out the time to, you know, get into a flow state or, or you know, get the pages and... Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm uh, that, that uh, if you need something done quickly, give it to a very busy person. Hmm. There's, there's a bit of that. Um, uh, there's, there's, there, I, I, I became very, very efficient. Um, I'm, I've got my emails are rude. They're, they're, <laughs> you know, there's no salutation. There's no sign off. It's, uh, they're, they're, I just, I, I understand that I'm supposed to be doing that now, but I, but, and I, and I, and now again, that I'm, I'm, I'm a little less busy. I'm, I'm getting better at that. But I was, uh, I was, you know, two word emails. Um, and, uh, and so it was partly just kind of, uh, efficiency. Uh, partly I had this long ago, a kind of, I don't know, policy, I guess you'd say of productive procrastination mm -hmm. when there's something that I really need to get done and people are waiting for it. That's the time that I'm, I can get really productive on other projects. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. So I just, um, that this, this feeling that I'm playing hooky and this, I guess probably related to my, my early childhood, uh, training as a juvenile delinquent, I I'm happiest when I feel like I'm, I'm playing hooky a little bit. So if I'm supposed to be finishing book, uh, a, I'm working on book B and, uh, and, uh, and starting book C. And so I've, I've kind of always done that. And so writing has never, ever felt like a chore to me. Um, it always feels like the space of freedom and the space of, um, the, the space of, that I'm stealing, uh, the time from my job to, to, to do something that I, that I love. So, mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's, it's it, finding the time is not, not so much the problem kind of stop stopping finding the time in order to get done what I really do need to get done, um, is the, is the tricky part. And that, and that is you know for larb that was helped by the fact that it was we had a we had three daily deadlines we put up at least three um long form pieces every day and one at eight in the morning and one at 11 one at one at two so we you know those were those were hard hard uh hard moments and we had to get things we had to get things finished and uh i had to raise a certain amount of money or people didn't get paid and you know there so there were like real world um crushes that that made the other stuff get done no matter what and the, the writing gets done because i'm I, there's nothing i love better amazing yeah 
And of course, that kind of task switching and combinatory play, you know, that yeah. I talked about is, is I think, very important for the creative process. So that makes complete sense. And of course, you've, you've, you've dug into you, yourself <laughs> the history of loafers and slackers <laughs> uh-huh. in your book doing nothing. Um, right. And so you kind of have a, a, a very unique perspective on that. Another unique perspective I'd like to ask you about before we kind of... Uh, Wrap up is just simply this idea that you know you 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 rub elbows with some really incredibly famous authors um, in your in your <laughs> in your work and, and life and of course for the the radio program slash podcast mm-hmm. and do you, do you ever do you ever bump up against the the idea of kind of imposter syndrome or this you know this feeling like even though you are this <laughs> this uh, accomplished writer. Do you ever feel like, um, you know, that sense of imposter syndrome, you know? Oh, sure. I, yeah. 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 And, and, um, you know, that, that, you know, especially as a younger, uh, person, I felt that all of the time, partly cause I wasn't, you know, I was a late comer to the, to the world of academia. I always felt like I was, I had snuck in the back door and, um, I, people were, People would like find me out and tell me to go make them a grilled cheese sandwich, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, so that so I always felt a little bit of the imposter syndrome there, and you know, I guess um, that those kind of uh, identity crisis phenomena they do diminish as you get older. It's uh, you know, there's a reason why Eric Erickson, when he talks about you know he he's the guy that invented the identity crisis. Um, <laughs> He, um, you know, he kind of age dates it. You know, this is a, this is a stage that one goes through in life, um, for him. I think that he was a little bit wrong about that, but, but it's, uh, but it, it is a, a younger person's problem. And actually, you know, think to, back to Dimitri for a second, uh, in, in Born Slippy, um, the attraction that Frank has for Dimitri, you know, one of the things I also wanted to do, I was kind of, uh, do kind of criticism of noir as a genre hmm. um, while I was at it. So there, you know, I, I don't know if you noticed this, but there are lines picked from dozens of novels just kind of sprinkled in here and there, um, repurposed uh, in ways that are very different from where they show up in little plot points. So there's some third man stuff. There's some big sleep stuff. There's some, you know, there's a bunch of uh, plot points and, and characters and things that are just pulled from other, from other texts. Um, yeah. Easter eggs running commentary. Yeah. And, um, and, and I think that that attraction that we have for the charming sociopath is something that's also a little bit stronger for young people. We love narcissists when we're young. They, they represent some kind of, they represent a kind of autonomy that we want for ourselves. Autonomy and, um, kind of confidence and, um, you know, sense of self-determination, all, all of these things that we're trying to have for ourselves. Um, and as we get older, we've been around enough narcissists in our life to know that, um, they're really eventually, even if you, even if they're charming at first, they're going to be a problem and they're, and they're, and they're kind of boring and they are, they have no sense of give and take. So you can sit and listen to them, uh, and then you're done. Uh, so, you know, when you see them are coming down the pike, when you're older, you're not only not attracted, <laughs> but you tend to kind of move in the other direction at the party. Um, and uh, that, that 
kind of set of desires for selfhood and the set of desires for for autonomy and kind of set of desires not to feel like like you're an imposter those kinds of, those kinds of identity identity issues um they're just simply not the same when you're older and um i don't i'm not i don't feel any less like an imposter but it just doesn't bother me anymore hmm yeah i'm uh, i'm 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 faking it a lot like when i started los angeles review of books i didn't know how to run a magazine i i i, I wasn't sure i really knew how to edit um I had been correcting student papers, so I knew something about <laughs> grammar and syntax. But uh, you know, I, I didn't know how to. I certainly I didn't know how to do HTML coding. I didn't know how to do sound editing. I didn't know how to right. So I, I kind of learned all these things on the job. So I was always half faking it, and uh, I certainly didn't know how to write a novel because I had never written one before. And uh, and you know, I figured it out. And I you know, I don't the parts of it that I haven't figured out, I'm not even aware of them yet. So, but it just doesn't, it just doesn't bother me. I'm like, I, I assume everybody's faking it a little bit and, uh, and that's okay. Um, <laughs> you know, you, uh, you are who you pretend you, you are as Kurt Vonnegut once said, he said, that's why you have to be very careful who you, who you pretend to be. Um, since you are who you pretend to be, all you have to do is, you know, is be an imposter in order to be a, uh, be an imposter novelist in order to be a novelist. Hmm. Uh, so, uh, and, and, um, yeah, I was, I was thrilled to be able to talk to, uh, Salman Rushdie. I'm talking to Walter Mosley next month. I was thrilled to, to interview Margaret Atwood and Lena Dunham. And, uh, you know, these are, these are, um, people who are geniuses and, um, Juan Felipe Herrera. And, uh, you know, these are just, um, beautiful artists and, um, and uh, it's a privilege, and uh, I'm happy to do it. And uh, I don't, it doesn't make me feel inferior in the way it probably would have if I, if I had had to do it 30 years ago. But it, it doesn't now. It makes me feel, it makes me feel lucky to uh, be in their presence. And, and, you know, sense kind of humanizes them. And, and, uh, as I get to know some of them, um, fairly well, I have gotten to know James Elroy. I've gotten to know Margaret Atwood. I spent a number of days with her. So we, we got, uh, close over those days and, and, uh, I, I, um, they're real people. And that makes the kind of relationship between them and their work and me and my work, uh, closer rather than farther away. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very well put. And it, it, yeah, it's, it is interesting rubbing elbows with, with such lauded, uh, you know, literary figures and, um, re having that realization that, yeah, we, they all kind of suffer from the same <laughs> neurotic tendencies or, um, you know, sense of, sense yeah. of, of whatever that, it, you know, whatever that is that, that I'm sure so many aspiring writers are feeling right now, but, um, yeah, it's nice to hear that that uh, that <laughs> fades that feeling. Yeah. I think yeah. that there are probably people who who realize this much earlier than I did, and and probably people who um, are not afflicted by those kinds of feelings of imposter syndrome. But but most of us are, and and I and I I guess if I if if 
I had to do it over, I wish I had relaxed a little earlier. I think I would have, I think I would have gotten, um, to be a, a better writer faster. If I, if I had relaxed a little bit, not worried so much about those things. Yeah. You know, one of the things I, I remember thinking at some point, um, you know, I'm, I, when I was, you know, by all sorts of standard social definitions, I was just a big loser. And, uh, and, uh, and thinking that, you know, someday I'm going to, I'm going to write a book and I'll show them all <laughs> this, this kind of sense that, um, you know, that a lot, I, I see it in my students, um, uh, that, you know, uh, you know, this Flannery O'Connor novel, wise blood, where, mm. where the characters keep saying, um, nobody with a good car in America needs to be justified. Uh, <laughs> he, uh, he has a, he has a terrible car, but, um, he thinks it's a good car. And, uh, and he, he, um, that, that idea that, you know, that if I just had a book, I would be justified. Um, and when I published my first book, I did feel great for several weeks. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, several weeks later, I was back to being exactly me again and, uh, and, uh, full of, you know, the, a roiling mass of insecurity all over again. And, uh, it's, a, it's a very temporary fix to the, to the hole in our souls, these accomplishments, which is one of the reasons why people write, uh, if they can, and they have the time and the, and the, and the wherewithal, right, write 30 and 40 novels in a lifetime rather than one. Because one really doesn't do it, and two doesn't really do it. So, so you know, the, what we should be able to do is enjoy the artistic process. I mean, that's where I am now, and I wish I had gotten there earlier. the The process itself is pure pleasure. It's one of the great things about being a human being is that we get to make things, uh, and 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 the pleasure involved in the literary life is the making, not the having the books. Hmm. Love that. I think that's a really great place to wrap up here. And yeah, I think we'll point at, of course, your home base there, TomLutzWriter.com, author, professor, editor, humanist, gadabout. And uh, <laughs> the I'll link to the book, of course. The novel is Born Slippy, and it's uh, as a time-shifting narrative about the seductions of and resistance to toxic, toxic masculinity and of course combines uh, elements of uh, noir political satire and uh, is a darkly comic and honest meditation on modern life under global capitalism of course i'm quoting yes my publicist right <laughs> your publicist but uh, that doesn't that doesn't really wrap up what the story is about um go over to uh the website of course i'll link to the book and, um, uh, do you want me to point out your Twitter, Facebook and Instagram as well? Uh, sure. Yeah. It'd be great. You know, uh, my, my publicist would be happy if you did that. Yeah. I'll link to all the things. Do you have one final kind of a uh, pearl that you want to toss out for kind of maybe aspiring writers who, you know, just maybe some advice on how to keep going, how to, how to keep the ink flowing. I think that if the ink is not, is not flowing, um, it might mean that you want to be making something else that may, might be mean that you want to be making, uh, TV shows or, or 
paintings or bridges or or uh, or, or building houses like uh, like Frank does. Um, you know the 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 tortured artist who kind of wants to write but is not writing seems like a, an unsatisfying life. And I would just kind of get out of it as, as soon as possible. If you are kind of writing intermittently um, and, uh, and, and you know that you uh, love the, the writing part and you don't love the non-writing part, then the one, the one and only solution is open the laptop, put your fingers on the keyboard and see what happens. Yeah, that's a great place to to stop. Distinguished Professor Lutz, Tom, thank you so much for taking the time to do this today. We really appreciate your your all of your work, of course. And uh, yeah, we uh, look forward to hopefully chatting with you again. I could pro- probably pick your brain all day long, but uh, I know you have to get going. Well, thanks so much, Kilton. It was a, it was a real pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much for joining us for this episode of the Writer Files. And if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe to the show. Leave us a rating or a review to help other writers find us. You can always leave us a comment or a question and visit the entire archives at writerfiles.fm. And you can always chat with me on Twitter at Kelton Reed. Cheers. Talk to you next week. Bye.